Good morning. Um, so today we are going to be having a conversation on prayer. If you are with us um, the summer, I think it was, we had a Sunday where we talked about things that we were watching and reading that were inspiring us in that moment. Um, and so today we're talking uh, about things that Vince and I have read lately that have inspired us specifically around prayer. So kind of narrowing that in a bit. As we start the new year, many people look to set some intentions or goals, whatever framing of that is helpful for you. Um, so maybe prayer practices are something that you feel drawn to right now and want to lean into, but maybe not. Maybe um, thinking about praying right now feels strange or disconnected for you. I think that it's important to name that we all may be in different places when it comes to prayer. For me in this season, it's been really helpful to have other people's words to turn to because I don't always know what my own words look like. Um, it's also been really helpful to have these mindful and embodied practices like what Vince led us through um, just a moment ago. And recently I was given a book um, called A Rhythm in Prayer, A Rhythm of Prayer. And it's a collection of meditations and at the start of the week, I turned to a prayer from one of my favorite authors, Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, she wrote the Learning to Walk in the Dark book that I reference all the time. Um, but I read this prayer and I sat with it all day. And then I reread it to my partner, Andy. And then I sent it to a bunch of people. And it's just been something that um, has really been sitting with me this week. And I'm going to read it for us this morning as we start our conversation. Um, it is a little bit long, but I think her words just really beautifully capture a lot of the feelings that we name often at Brownline. Um, so I wanted to read the whole thing. And I will invite you now to get in a comfy, listening, prayerful position, whatever that looks like for you. Closing your eyes might be helpful. Um, but if this prayer doesn't seem helpful, that's totally fine. And you can just use this time to breathe. So this is... Um, Approaching the Mountain in Prayer by Barbara Brown Taylor. God Almighty, God the three-in-one, loving God, great creator. Dear God, I don't know how to begin my prayers anymore. It's not that I want to go back to the way it was when I imagined you with your chin on your hand, inclining your ear to me like a patient confessor or like a slightly more available father who might be persuaded to give me what I wanted in exchange for good behavior. The longer I have known you, the more I have lost sight of you, which is not as bad as it sounds. We are so close now that I can't imagine you with giant ears, white eyebrows over golden eyes, massive hands that give or take by your inscrutable will, there would have to be more distance between us for that. We are so close now that you come to me as breath, pulse, wind, sap, the steady humming current that weds all living things. Imagine a mountain, I say to those who want to go there. One so familiar, you can see it with your eyes closed, green in the summer, bare in winter, iridescent at sunset. It's always where it's supposed to be, right there on the horizon. You have loved it from afar. 
Now imagine deciding to climb that mountain, not once, but over and over again. First by the marked path, then by the deer trails, then by making your own way up. One day you pray in the dry stream bed. One day you pray under the stone outcrop. One day you pray face down in the sweet birch leaves. My point is the better you know the mountain, the more intimate you become, the harder it is to see it whole as something separate from yourself. You're not looking at the mountain anymore. You're not even on the mountain. You're in the mountain's life as its life pours into you. This makes words hard to come by. O thou who art, thank you for green. Wake me up to blue. Receive the fine ash of my sadness. Blow a seed my way. Schooled in prayer, I hear what's missing. Clarity of separation between creator and creation, attention to the needs of others, admission of my shortcomings, a little more Christology, please. These days I say so much less than that. Thank God, dear God, you don't seem to mind. We both like the words because they mean I'm paying attention. Though we both know the prayer is in the silence after. Ragged breath becoming steady, then still. Until I am all ears for you. Here in the mountain of your presence, where I can't see you anymore. O thou who art, breathe on me and I shall be saved. Amen. Oh, just so good. <laughs> Vince, I'd love to invite you into the conversation here. I'm just, I'm curious what strikes you after listening to this prayer and what you feel drawn to in this. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of, I, I think we can probably, we will visit a lot of uh, pieces from this. Um, just the one I, I wrote down a couple of things just knowing that we were going to talk about this ahead of time, but the one just now that really stood out to me the most, and I didn't expect it to, is right in the beginning where she writes, you know, it's not that I want to go back to the way it was, and she describes the way it was as a slightly more available father who might be persuaded to give me what I want in exchange for good behavior. And I I was struck by that because it, it feels as though so many of us growing up in an American context, whether that was a church-going American context or a non-church-going American context, the picture of God that we have painted is not always necessarily a like completely ugly picture. There are pieces that maybe like might, you know, grab you or hook you or draw you, but it like the it has such a ceiling. It's a slightly more available father. And I just think that language really captures like something that is like fine, but it's not life sustaining forever. It's not going to, you know, feed me for the rest of my life. It's not the thing my heart is longing for. And there's something about the way that that was phrased and the way that you read it just now, the, you know, I don't want a slightly more available father who's persuaded to give me what I want in exchange for good behavior. I I want in God something far more than that. And, um, Oh, that's really grabbing me right now. I don't know. That, that's not necessarily what I expected to be grabbed first by uh, when you when I knew you would read this. But I don't know how does that hit you? 
Yeah, I think um, it just falls kind of in line with this idea of deconstruction that has become a bit of a buzzword. Um, but really, I think that in this, she just paints such a hopeful picture of the process of deconstruction. Mm. Um, that this belief or understanding of God, just like what you're naming it now, it's not that it's altogether bad. Um, I think often there are just missing pieces or distorted yeah. pieces. Um, but the way that she is, the way she builds this, it feels very honoring to the past of this is who I knew to be God then. And this is how I prayed then. Um, but that's no longer serving me now. And so kind of that, that growth, um, that just freedom to let our idea of God shift and then our prayers shift too, that those fall in line with one another. Um, I think for me too, just the, the nature imagery and all of that, like it feels very gentle and hopeful. Um, but it is really, it's a tall task to, at least for me, for someone who likes to kind of um, wrap my head around things and research stuff and study things like to sit, to sit back and study the mountain and maybe have some distance there, um, to have distance between our idea of God and who we are. Um, this idea of a slightly more available father, that there's some definite like disconnect and distance there, that instead of that, we move toward this space where we can just sit and be, um, and knowing the mountain up close, knowing God up close. I think that that, that for me is a lot more hopeful, um, but it might be hard to get to if you're in a, in a space of despair and disconnection too. I want to name that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely um, agree that I really love the, the movement toward the mountain does bring some loss of perspective with it. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. the closer you get, you can't see the whole thing and there is comfort and there is, um, I guess comfort is the best word. There's familiarity in being able to like stay at, back at a distance and be able to observe. Maybe you protect yourself from being a bit too vulnerable when you get up close. It's you know like you're 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 within the mountain, right? The trees are all around you. The 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 waters and the and the deer paths and stuff. It's like you can't can't step back and see everything. Um, so there's something really. Um, really gentle about that hopeful move that you're talking about but also that acknowledges yes it's yes there's there's um this you should come this way you know gently follow me but also there will be hard things along the way and i do think that that is what many people experience just life bring to them which is things are not working the way that they used to my conception of god maybe my conception of prayer or even beyond that you know just my conception of like life working out or people giving each other the benefit of the doubt um, that things might go okay, you know, optimism, hope. Um, sometimes we, we, we experience life steal those convictions for us and then we have to piece it back together. And yeah, I find really, I find really beautiful this idea of, oh, perhaps you are not farther from it. Perhaps you are closer to it. And that means that it's harder to see, but there is, there, there are so many benefits being closer to this hope and this, and, and this God um that you never had when you looked from a distance mm -hmm. yeah and even just um the way that she frames it is deciding to climb the mountain and making yeah. different there's different pathways up yeah um that this idea of sometimes you have to take the marked path and 
that may mean leaning into others' um, words and imagery and things like that. I, I think too, the, the marked path for me growing up in a Christian setting um, and in a church setting, there are these phrases that are so ingrained in my brain, when, especially when it comes to praying aloud, that it's so much easier now. But um, getting swept into this marked path for a while, I would still start prayers with like, God, thank you that you are in control or things like that. And then I'd stop myself and be like, I'm praying things I don't even necessarily believe to be true anymore. <laughs> they're, they're so worked into your vocabulary that you can't even stop yourself from doing it. Yeah, that 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 may be for me the marked path that I used to kind of take to yep. experiencing God. Um, but slowly it's become, she says, um, first the marked path, then by the deer trails, then by making your own way up. Yes, so I love yes. the honoring of this as a process. Um, that if there, are, I don't know if there are others that this kind of rings true for of prayer just being a part of um, life growing up that it needs to take on new forms. Um, and for me, that's meant knowing a God that I can actually believe in and trust or learn to trust. Um, but it, it is definitely a process. Um, but yeah, Vince, I'm curious for you if you've seen prayer look um, different in different seasons of life and what this yeah. kind of, this has looked like for you. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's a great question. I, I love stage theories. I don't know if anyone knows this about me. I'm like, anytime somebody's like, well, let me, let me break down the, the, uh, how these things happen into stages that you might go through. And so I'm attracted to a stage theory that is from a 16th century nun uh, uh, that we know by St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, so she's a Spanish nun in the 1500s. And um, she, uh, her, her famous work is called The Interior Castle. And I, I find comfort by the fact that she, I, I, I read selections from The Interior Castle recently. Again, she's writing in the 1500s. She's a Spanish nun. And I, a random dude in 21st century America, read her. And I was like, you're talking about the same thing that I know. I, I find that comforting. I find like, you know, like that something can translate through such culture and time. Um, and so, uh, so that's why this grabs me, but she talked about how, um, we will move through, um, roughly three sorts of stages in a prayer, uh, life as we, as we develop, as we further in spirituality. And I think it, it sounds a lot like what Barbara Brown Taylor calls, you know, getting closer to the mountain, uh, and then being in the mountain. So the way that Teresa of Avila talked about it is, uh, the first, like uh, early on in our prayer life, we uh, rely heavily on methods or techniques that will um, that will allow us to like, you know, get ourselves into this space. And so if you think about um, ways that, you know, many of us have tried to, especially yeah, I think even in this church, we've tried really to lean into, uh, since the pandemic broke out, contemplative prayer practices, mindfulness, things like that, that, that expand well beyond the Christian tradition. And a lot of those times, when you get when you're early on in such practices, you need certain um, props or verbal uh, ticks almost, you know, to like get you into that place. And that that's a lot of what you described, right? Like a like a little kind of verbal uh, cue. Oh, I'm beginning to pray, God, you know. And um, I I can think of all the people that I've been in um, in smaller group settings in this church with that have had lots of church going experience, and they tell me about like 
acronyms they learned for like how to pray, right? You know, it's, I don't remember what they are, but maybe maybe somebody in the chat can throw me the acronym that you remember from your childhood. Um, so things like that, they help us. Um, a, a prop would be like like I um, a mug of coffee in the morning is like a prop for me. It's a, it's it's a method. It's a technique to help me remind myself. I'm about to go into prayer when I'm sitting with a nice hot mug of coffee and I'm sitting in the same chair that I sit in every morning. So, uh, so that's the first stage for Teresa of Avila. Um, and then what she argues is that um, as we as we further, it, it takes time. It's not something that you can like manufacture or make happen immediately. It's not even something that you like that you do anything, but you just kind of get wooed by God by life into the next stages. And, uh, and what you eventually enter into is a stage that's more about inner stillness and quiet. So we're moving from methods and techniques to stillness and quiet. And what many people find, that which can be disconcerting, and I think it's kind of like that stanza in Barbara Brown Taylor's uh, poem where like, uh, it's not that I want it to, to go back to that because it's actually better this way, and let me tell you why. Um, but it's disconcerting because you find that in previously with your methods and techniques, maybe like something would happen instantly or, or you'd, you'd really feel like you were hearing God's voice or maybe you felt like God moved in such a powerful way and maybe other people around you really reinforced that because of the way that they prayed and, and it all felt like it was so magical and incredible and happening just like that. And then you move into a next stage where it's more inner stillness and quiet, and you can start to wonder like, wait, where? what happened to the magic? Like where, I, I wanna go back, I, you know, like, we we have to go back to the way it was like and, and you start to feel nostalgia for what was but what um what what Teresa Favela encourages is like it's it's actually better this way it's a, it's a lot like the prayer or a lot like what what you read from Barbara Brown Taylor this comes uh as it, with a deepening of prayer this stillness and this quiet and the reason is because the third stage she talks about is what she calls union and so we've gone from methods and techniques to inner stillness and quiet, to union with God. And, th and the idea here is that prayer is sort of woven into the practice of daily life. And it's not so much that you're like, sometimes it is, but it's not so much that often that you're like setting aside time, here's my prayer, and then I'm doing life, and then I go back to prayer. But prayer is sort of woven behind everything because you're experiencing constant union with God. And she talks about how we don't actually need to hear God because we intuit God because we're so close. We're in the mountain and God is in us. And we just, we're, uh, God's will is, is, is clear to us as we intuit it because we've grown in such time. And this is not something again, that we can make happen immediately. It's not something that just like we can skip earlier stages and get there automatically. It's something that grows just like a relationship grows, right? Like just like as you and I, Haley, we've built a friendship now over over a number of years, and we start to like we we understand each other better without having to ask, without having to you know be so explicit. It's a, it, you can pick it up, and and the same is true with God. So, I I, I feel like that's going on in this in this. I just I think of Teresa of Avila and and the fact that she's writing about something that I still experience today and in a totally different culture and time and context, and uh, and I wonder if that is is helpful for anybody who has experienced that sense of nostalgia sometimes of like wanting to go back like why isn't it the way that it used to be or if you've seen other people model something for you and it's not about like what you used to have but it's just like hey it's it's not what it's supposed to be like it doesn't look like that person well often that that that's not a bad thing it just means that your prayer life is moving into the next stage and to me that's really encouraging even as it comes with recognizing what's different
Yeah, I love, and I love her way of framing it too, that it's not that you have to unlock some certain thing yes. to move to the next stage. Yes, yeah, um, it's not, it's not like you won, you beat the boss in the, in that level one and now you go to level two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because even the, the beginnings of relationships are still fruitful and good yes. and bring about connection. Like I think back, um, even like when Andy and I were just first starting to date, like there's such fond things that like memories that I have of that time period and really good things, but we also didn't know each other as much as we, um, know one another now and just do life together. Um, that it's, it is this rhythm thing, I think of, um, being in day-to-day -day life. And if we see this happening with relationships from person to person, I think that it makes sense that we would see that, pro that progression and evolution when we're talking about our experience of God too. Um, but yeah, this I'm trying. I was trying to remember the acronym. It's one of that them was pray. With? It was like praise request. Oh, they they did it as pray. That's that's so brilliant. Oh. I know, but I don't remember what the A and Y are. So clearly, uh, it wasn't. alas, alas. Well, we, we we won't have any catchy acronyms for anybody today. We're we're kind no. of going. <laughs> we're moving we're moving into inner stillness and quiet, where there aren't methods and techniques. Uh, I I think of um, another thing that kind of grabs me from the the upshot of uh barbara brown taylor's uh, prayers we move into this place where not just wordless because like oh things are changing and i you know th things are more confusing and so the words that used to work aren't working but also wordlessness in a sort of way that's like driving us toward because because words have a ceiling and there's like an action there's like there's practice there's there's uh there's lifestyle that seems to come that uh, has priority over just like saying the right things or believing the right things. I love the, you know, the, her, her sort of like tongue in cheek stanza there where it's like, it's like, oh, you know, but I'm supposed to be confessing my sins. We're supposed to be thinking about others a little bit more Christology, you know, like <laughs> all of these like theological words, you know, that you're supposed to believe or something. And this, this idea that prayer moves toward action, prayer moves toward, you know, these, these, these next phases of how I'm living and not just what I'm saying or confessing. Um, to, to go back to Teresa of Avila, she, uh, a, a scripture that she um, used, used to talk about that second phase where we are in inner stillness and quiet and we're sometimes wondering, like, what do we do here? She talks about in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler and they have this back and forth where uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, um, I have done, I have, you know, followed all the commandments and, and, you know, what, what, what is, what is the path to me for, for life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And, and then, and famously the story kind of is left in suspense, but there's this idea that that sort of captures that space of I'm, I'm moving into something that my words, my um, maybe the, the the concepts that I was given as a child, they served me for a time, and now I I am sort of needing to move into something that's more practice dominant, and um, and and my prayer can be like can can be all over that, and can be like a a, a reinforcement of that move, 
or it can get stuck in that place where I'm like turning and being, but why isn't it like it used to be? And, and, and that's what gets me stuck. That's what maybe gets me, um, you know, in, in, on Matthew 19's uh, terms, like stuck at like, what, what is the right commandment? What is, what is the right thing to follow? Whereas Jesus is kind of, is, is more, more guiding us more, more dynamically into what is the right thing for me in this moment and how do I live that out? Yeah, there's two things that um, are coming up for me as you're talking here. And the first is that um, this idea of like, well, what is what is for me and what's the right next step and all of this, that that is just very answers driven, um, that there, there's got to be a right way to do this prayer thing. There's got to be this the right way to do this living um, thing that it becomes very answers driven and almost like a formula, um, some yep. type of transaction or exchange. Yes. But instead, I think that, and maybe that format feels useful at some stages, but to trade it for, but I think Barbara Brown Taylor is really painting us a picture of is praying out of a space of curiosity and not a need for answers. Um, that we, we definitely hold expectations and hopes and things that we long for and there's also just this like praying is paying attention. Um, Mary Oliver has a really great line along this that says, um, I don't always know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. And I think yeah. of that just like, oh, that idea of noticing and naming along with expecting that that would bring about more life and more freedom than being kind of stuck in this um, exchange or transaction view of what prayer is. Yeah, I think I think that's a worthwhile conversation to continue on for for everyone in our church. Um, I wonder if you could if you could step back and think about what are the models that have been given to you for prayer, and how many of them are kind of exchange or transaction focused. How many of them are, um, and maybe they served you for a time. Like we don't have to be entirely judgmental about them, but maybe we can regard them as that stage one, those methods and techniques. And, and, I, and I wonder, um, one thing that I really like about uh, the Barbara Brown Taylor prayer is that the metaphor that we're using is, it's a, it's a living one, right? It's, 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 it's the deer path and the mountain and the streams and the trees, and you're moving towards something that is, you know, nature, as opposed to what I think a lot of uh, we experience in capitalistic America uh, is transactional, uh, like mechanical uh, metaphors for like prayer, you know, like inputs and outputs. And, uh, and we love those kind of things. And sure, those are helpful sometimes. But I, I, I am always struck by how and it, there were certainly machinery and mechanics things around in the first century when Jesus is walking and when St. Paul is writing what we have in the New Testament of the Bible, but they never used mechanical metaphors to talk about God. And I think that's really important. Like it was never like God is like the, you know, the, the spoke of a wheel or you are the spoke on God's wheel, you know, and on the wagon. It was like, no, like God is, God is a vine and you are part of the vine. It was always organic metaphors. It was plant. It was nature. It was things that grow, not things that are built. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's, I think that's really important for us to consider what models do we default back to maybe because we were taught them or maybe just because we absorbed them living in capitalistic America 
about prayer and about how to relate to God, if they are mechanical, if they're about things we build, you know, then I just, I think that in, in some ways there's going to be a ceiling to those. Eventually they will outlive uh, or they will they will they will no longer be able to help us, and we'll have to move something that is more growth, uh, nature, um, moving you know like the the relational kinds of metaphors, like getting closer to a mountain. I, yeah. I, I wonder what you do with that, Haley. I get so excited about this conversation of moving from um, mechanical metaphors into organic metaphors because that's what we see in the teachings of Jesus. Um, and even now, something that I hadn't really thought about is that building and constructing um, involve a lot more precision and control. Hmm. And when you're growing things, you are just, you're left um, a lot more vulnerable. Like you can't control the weather. You can't control a lot about how things are grown. Yeah. Um, you can't even control like how a plant looks, right? Like when no. you're trying to like, oh, God, I got to turn it so it faces the sun, but that doesn't work. And yeah, no, absolutely. And so there's something in this too of um, growing and the organic and connected and relational um, that that just kind of feels really true to me. And that it's it's not that that, um, that place is untouchable. Like maybe we do move into a season where this idea of um, inner life and stillness and um, that that feels like a, a great place to be meeting God. And then something happens and a, a resorting back to an old way of praying just feels more comfortable um, or disconnecting from prayer and understanding God that that just feels more comfortable. And um, this idea that growth isn't linear in a predictable process but is left open and vulnerable to the elements um that that's something i'm thinking about now that i hadn't really thought about before i want to uh point to a comment in the chat Haley, real yeah. quick um this this is an interesting one because it sort of it sort of gets at the helpfulness of methods and techniques um and uh, but I'm just curious what you think about this. So uh, Erica writes, I wasn't taught an acronym, but I remember being taught if I couldn't think of what to pray, to pray the Lord's Prayer. I think that's a really important thing to bring in, that the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, because the way that it's recorded, I think in one of the Gospels, I can't remember, but in one of the Gospels, I think the way that it's recorded is people asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus responds. And so it's kind of like a I don't know. We should go to that scripture right today if we're talking about this. <laughs> and I, I wonder. I wonder. Like, I wonder where we go from that because I do think that that is a that is a commonly uh, given piece of advice. And I wonder if we can do the do the organic rather than mechanical spin on that because the mechanical way to understand, like, oh, you go to the Lord's prayer. What, the, Jesus, he he was taught the way, like. He, he was asked, how do I pray? And then he taught people the Lord's Prayer. Well, it must be because that is the perfect prayer. And so we need to make sure, okay, first line is this category. Second line is this category. Third line is, so if I pray all those things, I've got it. And I think, absolutely, there's something to that. I don't want to be like totally down. I think that's that's kind of cool. Like we, that sounds like a good sermon series. Maybe we should do that sometime. <laughs> but I wonder if, um, I wonder if there's the more like, building on the Lord's Prayer, building on our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If, if we build on that from a more organic way, then like, a, oh, does it teach us like, per, does it perfectly capture every step of prayer? Um, maybe there's something there. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that um, the 
the way of even navigating just that prayer is kind of a, um, like a case study and how, and how this might feel a little bit more fruitful of what you're describing is kind of a mechanical way to approach those words. Um, but what would it look like to approach a set written out prayer with a element of curiosity and wonder that maybe what these words meant to you a year ago doesn't feel true now. Um, that they're, I don't know, even just returning to this prayer from Barbara Brown Taylor this week, I've read it a bunch of times now and every time different wording stands out to me. Yeah, um, yeah. That even the, the familiar written out prayers that we are given that have come either from scripture or from tradition or whatever it may be, um, that we can approach even written text and something that's um, very collective that it doesn't have to be prescribed, that it could be collective while still being organic. Um, and so maybe even like narrowing in on a, a phrase or a word that arises from that might feel really helpful today and maybe something else feels helpful tomorrow. So I do think that there that. is a place of yeah. leaning, leaning into words that have been prayed. But there's something really cool about that, that we can say that maybe, um, Teresa of Avila and Barbara Brown Taylor, we can make them friends today. Like there's yeah. something really, really collective and wonderful about that. And just because we're using words that have been used in other settings for all of these years and generations, we can still approach them with curiosity. I love that. I love that. There's almost a, um, the, the, to, to go back to like the, the Lord's prayer, it's an invitation into your relationship your version of those words, your inspiration after reading that. And that might change today. It might change tonight. It might change tomorrow. It might change next month or next year or next season of your life. But each, but you know, those, those, those words are an invitation to something more that you build, that you grow in partnership with, with God. Uh, again, seeing that those, you know, those, the, that are again, the gardening kind of thing and not so much like the, you know, we, we pray this because, if we're not, you know, ticking all of these boxes, the prayer was not heard or, or the, you know, the slightly more available father did not get enough of a transaction to then, you know, you know, uh, release the blessing. <laughs> uh, and this is the start of a whole other conversation too, about how suffering fits into all of this. Yes, like when we yes, pray yes, for yes. things and they don't come to be, or we pray for things and um, pray for things to not happen and it happens anyways. But I think the, the picture that we're given um, out of what we're looking at today, this idea of just a really organic relationship with prayer and with getting to know God um, out of an openness and a sense of inner life and wonder that um, maybe that's some of the, the sustaining hope that we can hold to as we're seeking to understand a little bit more about um, these deeper conversations around suffering and everything there but yeah definitely definitely i think i think the encouragement i'd probably want to leave uh everybody from my end would be like that if you are if you are in a place of um in your prayer life where you feel uh you you feel either longing to go back to something previously that you experienced because it felt more i don't know it, it felt like it it ticked more of the boxes or it uh it it matched more of what the models that you that you were taught from uh, looked like, and that's like tormenting you. I think my encouragement is 
don't let yourself be tormented. You know, like there are, there are other mentors out there and teachers out there about prayer, like Teresa Avila or Barbara Brown Taylor, who can just guide you into something that, you know, like you won't actually want to go back to that thing before you, you being in the mountain is so much better than observing it from a distance. And, and even as that comes with some confusion or some grief, uh, this is, this, this is a good process. And I think that you'll like it. And I suppose that's, that's the encouragement I'd want to leave everyone with. Yeah. This idea of, um, sure. It's the longer I've known you, the more I have lost sight of you. Um, yeah. and that yes. can be really disorienting and I think gaining a new perspective, um, that, that can, that ultimately leads us into a more flourishing life than, um, holding on to things that really no longer feel true. Um, but I want to leave us with, as we're closing, um, I'm going to read a portion of this again for us. Um, just a smaller snippet as our, our prayer to end this conversation. So would you pray with me? Imagine a mountain. I say to those who want to go there, one so familiar, you can see it with your eyes closed. Green in summer, bare in winter, iridescent at sunset. It's always where it's supposed to be, right there on the horizon. You have loved it from afar. Now imagine deciding to climb that mountain, not once, but over and over again. First by the marked path, then by the deer trails, then by making your own way up. One day you pray in the dry stream bed, One day you pray under the stone outcrop. One day you pray face down in the sweet birch leaves. My point is the better you know the mountain, the more intimate you become, the harder it is to see it whole as something separate from yourself. You're not looking at the mountain anymore. You're not even on the mountain. You're in the mountain's life as its life pours into you. This makes words hard to come by. O thou who art, thank you for green. Wake me up to blue. Receive the fine ash of my sadness and blow a seed my way. Amen.